chapter twenty eight of sons of fire by mary elizabeth braddon this librivox recording is in the public domain the meeting place of waters at tabor there had been a long halt a delay forced upon the travellers by the conditions of climate by the sickness and the idleness of their caravan but this interval of rest had not been altogether disagreeable the place was a place of fatness a settlement in the midst of a fertile plain where the flocks and herds the arab population the pastoral life suggested those familiar pictures in that first book of ancient history which the child takes into his newly awakened consciousness and which the hard and battered wayfarer believer or agnostic loves and admires to the end of life in just such a scene as this rebecca might have given isaac the fateful draught of water from the wayside well upon just such a level pasture joseph and his brethren might have tended their flocks the visions of the young dreamer would have shown him this pale milky azure overarching the rich level where the sheaves bowed down to his sheaves and in just such a reposeful atmosphere would he have laid himself down for the noontide siesta and let his fancy slide into the dim labyrinth of dreamland at tabora there had been overmuch time for thought and the yearning for a far-away face must needs have been in the hearts of both those young englishmen whose bronzed features were sternly and steadily set with the resolute calm of men who do not mean to waste in despair and die for love of the fairest woman upon earth often and often in the dusk alan heard his comrade's rich baritone rolling out that old song shall i wasting in despair die because a woman's fair shall my cheeks grow pale with care because another's rosy are the voice thrilled him what a gift is that music which gives a man power over his fellow-men jeffrey's fiddle talked to them nearly every night beside the camp-fire talked to them sometimes at daybreak when its owner had been sleepless for that restless spirit had watched too many long blank hours in the course of his travels it had been hard work to convey that fiddle-case across the rolling woods through swamp and river guarded from the crass stupidity of native porters from the obstinacy of the african donkey the curiosity of the inhabitants of the villages on the way geoffrey had carried it himself for the greater part of the journey refusing to trust arab or negroid with so precious a burden riding or walking he had managed to take care of his little amadi the smallest but not the least valuable of all his fiddles there were some among his dark followers to whom jeffrey's amadi was an enchanted thing a thing that ought to have been alive if it was not indeed there were some who secretly believed that it was a living creature the velvet nest in which he kept the strange thing the delicate care with which he laid it in that luxurious resting-place or took it out into the light of day the loving movement with which he rested his chin on the shining wood while his long lissome fingers twined themselves caressingly about the creature's neck the strange light that came into his eyes as he drew the bow across the strings and the ineffable sounds which those strings gave forth all these were tokens of a living presence a something to be loved and feared when he tuned his fiddle they thought that he was punishing it and that it shrieked and groaned in pain why else were those sounds so harsh and discordant 
so unlike the melting strains which the thing gave forth when he laid his chin upon it and loved it when his lips smiled and his melancholy eyes looked far away into the purple distances across the woods and the plains to the remoteness of the mountain range beyond if it were not actually alive if it had neither heart nor blood as they had why then it was a familiar demon a charm by which he who possessed it could influence his fellow-men he could rouse them to savage raptures to shrieks and wild leaps that were meant for dancing he could melt them to tears from the first hour when he played by the campfire on the third night after they left bagamoyo jeffrey's music had given him a hold over the more intelligent members of the caravan they had listened at first almost as the dog listens and had been ready to lift up their heads and howl as the dog howls but gradually those singing sounds had exercised a soothing influence they had sprawled at his feet a ring of listeners with elbows on the ground looking up at him out of onyx eyes that flashed in the firelight among their followers there were some makololos from the shire valley men of superior courage and determination a finer race than the common herd of african porters of the same race as those faithful followers of livingstone's first great journey who afterwards became chiefs and rulers of the land these makololos adored geoffrey his music the achievements of his winchester rifle that ardent fitful temperament of his exercised an extraordinary influence over these men and it seemed as if they would have followed him without fee or reward for sheer love of the man himself not for meat and cloth and beads and brass wire never a word said geoffrey or alan of that one woman whose image filled the minds of both they talked of other people freely enough each spoke of his mother tenderly regretfully even alan taking comfort from the thought of lady emily's delight in her farm the occupation and interest which every change of the seasons brought for her such letters as had reached him on his wanderings had been resigned and uncomplaining although dwelling sorrowfully upon the husband she had lost he used to live so much apart shut in his library day after day and only joining me in the evening that i could hardly have believed my life could seem so empty without him but i know now how much his presence in the house even his silent unseen presence meant for me and i realize now how often i used to go to him interrupting his dreamy life with my petty household questions my little bits of news from the farmyard or the cowhouses or the garden he was so kind and sympathetic he would look up from his books to interest himself in some story about my brahmas or my koshans and if he was bored he never allowed me to see the faintest sign of impatience i think he was the best and truest man that ever lived and my alan is like him may god protect and bless my dearest my only dear in all the perils of the desert lady emily's mental picture of africa represented one far-reaching waste of level sand a desert flatness incompatible with a spherical earth pervaded by camels and occasionally varied by a mirage a pair of pyramids like tall candlesticks at the end of a board-room table a sphinx and a crocodile river occupied the northeast corner of this vast plateau while the southwest was distinguished by a colony of ostriches and the place to which indian officials used to resort for change of air some fifty years since to these narrow limits were restricted lady emily's notions of the continent 
on which her son was now a wanderer she feared that if he got out of the way of the crocodiles he might fall in with the ostriches which doubtless were dangerous when encountered in large numbers and she shuddered at the sight of her favourite feather fan mrs warnock's letters were in a sadder strain the key was distinctly minor she wrote of her loneliness of the monotonous days the longing for the face that had vanished my organ talks to me of you bach beethoven mozart mendelssohn all tell me the same story you are far away away for a long time and life is very sad there was not a word of suzette in those letters if she was ever at the manor if his mother retained her affection and found solace in her society there was no hint of that consoling presence it might be that the girl hated the house because of that vehement stormy love which had assailed her there the love that would not let her be faithful to a more reasonable lover and yet and yet thought geoffrey hardly caring even in his own mind to put the question positively in his innermost consciousness there was the belief that she loved him him geoffrey warnock that she had refused him perversely and foolishly out of a mistaken sense of honour she would not marry alan whom she did not love and she refused to marry geoffrey whom she did love in order to spare her jilted lover the pain of seeing a rival's triumph but i am not beaten yet geoffrey told himself when i go back to england if i but find her free i shall try again alan's wounds will have healed by that time and even her quixotic temper will have satisfied itself by the sacrifice of two years of her lover's life when i go back musing sometimes on that prospect of the homeward journey whether returning by the road they had come or dropping down southward by trivia's route to the nyassa and the zambezi or by the more adventurous westward route by the forest and the congo the way by which trivia had come to the lake whichever way were eventually chosen geoffrey asked himself if the three travellers would all go back one shall be taken and the other left throughout the record of african travel there is that dark feature of the story the traveller who is left behind sometimes it is the fever fiend that lays a scorching hand upon the fearless adventurer flings him down to suffer thirst and pain and heaviness and delirious horrors in the foul darkness of a beehive hut to die in a dream of home with shadowy faces looking down at him familiar voices talking with him sometimes he falls in a ring of savage foes hemmed round with hideous faces foes as fierce and implacable as lion or leopard foes who kill for the sake of killing or cannibals for whom man is the choicest banquet the hazards of the pilgrimage take every shape death by drowning death by massacre death by smallpox or jungle fever death by starvation by the bursting of a gun by beasts of prey in every story of travel there is always that dark page which tells of the man who is left dillon farquhar the two pococks jameson bartolot weissenberger the ghosts that haunt the pathways of tropical africa are many but those melancholy shadows exercise no deterring influence on the traveller who sets out to-day strong elate hopeful inspired by an eager curiosity which takes no heed of trouble or of risk which of us three is to stay behind geoffrey asked himself in a gloomy wonder not patrington he had come to the stage at which the traveller bears a charmed life it is seldom the experienced wanderer the man of many journeys who falls by the wayside hot-headed youth bold in its ignorance of danger perishes like a bird caught in a trap 
the strong frame of the trained athlete shrivels like a leaf in the hot blast of fever the careless boatman tempts the perils of a difficult passage and is swept over the stony bed of the torrent and vanishes in the fathomless pool the hardened traveller knows what he is about and can reckon with the forces of that gigantic nature which he faces and defies it is the tyro who pays the price of his inexperience and in the history of african travel the survival of the fittest is the rule which of us that question had entered into the very fabric of jeffrey's thoughts sometimes sitting by the campfire as the chillness of night crept round them a grisly fancy would flash across his reverie and he would think that the pale mist that rose about allan's figure on the other side of the circle was the visionary shroud which the highlander sees upon the shoulders of a friend marked for death would it be allan if it were allan he jeffrey would hasten home to tell the sad story and then to claim her whose too tender conscientiousness had refused happiness at allan's expense allan gone there would be no reason why she should deny her love for i know i know that she loves me jeffrey repeated to himself he had been telling himself that story ever since he left england no denial from those lovely lips no words of scorn would convince him that he was unloved he could recall looks and tones that told another story he had seen the gradual change in her which told of an awakening heart she never knew what love means till she knew me he told himself did he wish for allan's death no there was no such hideous thought in the dark labyrinth of his mind or at least he believed that there was not one must perish he had so brooded over the story of former victims that he had taught himself to look upon one lost life as inevitable but the lot was as likely to fall upon him as upon allan more likely since his habits were more reckless and more adventurous than allan's if there was danger to be found he and his macalolos courted it shooting expeditions raids upon unfriendly villages hand-to-hand -hand skirmishes with marambo's brigand tribes he and his macalolos were ready for anything he had travelled over hundreds of miles with his warlike little gang exploring shooting fighting while patrington and allan were living in dreamy inaction waiting for better weather or for the recovery of half a dozen ailing pagazis assuredly he who ran such superfluous risks was the more likely to fall by the way well death is a solution of all difficulties if i am dead it will matter to me very little that my bright ineffable coquette is transformed into a sober middle-aged wife and that she and allan are smiling at each other across the family breakfast-table in a commonplace domestic paradise but while i live and am young i shall think of her and long for her and hate the lucky wretch who wins her if we should both go back if patrington's tough bones are the bones that are to whiten by the way and not allan's or mine why then we shall again be rivals and the years of exile will be only a dream that we have dreamt it was a strange position in which these two young men found themselves friends almost as brothers in the close intimacy of that solitude of three only three civilized thinking beings amidst a crowd of creatures who seemed as far apart as if they had belonged to the forest fauna the great antelope family or the simian race these two so nearly of an age reared in the same country and the same social sphere united and sympathetic at every point of contact between mind and mind and yet keeping this one deep gulf of silence between them they spoke to each other freely of all things except of her and yet each knew that she was the one absorbing subject in the mind of the other 
each knew that her image went along with them was never absent never less distinctly lovely even when the way was fullest of hardship and peril when every yard of progress meant a struggle with thorns that tore them and brambles that lashed them and the tough rank verdure carpet that clogged their feet neither had ever ceased to remember her or to think of these adventurous days as anything else than exile from her whatever interest or enjoyment there might be in that varied experience of a land where beauty and ugliness alternated with startling transitions it was not possible that either alan or geoffrey could forget the reason they were there far from the fair faces of women and from all the ease and pleasantness of civilized life geoffrey had the better chance of oblivion since those wild excursions and explorations of his afforded all the excitement of the untrodden and the hazardous the caravan road from the coast to ujiji with all its varieties of hardship was too beaten a track for this fiery spirit at every halting place he went off at a tangent and if his comrades threatened not to wait for his return he would pledge himself to rejoin them further on laughing to scorn every suggestion that he and his little company of makololos and wanyamwises could lose themselves in the wilderness he was more in touch with the men than alan as familiar with their ways and ideas as patrington after many years of travel he had learnt their languages with a marvellous quickness not the copious language of civilization and literature be it remembered but the terse and useful vocabulary of the camp and the hunting-ground the river and the road he understood his men and their different temperaments as few travellers learn to understand or desire to understand them and yet there was but little christian benevolence at the root of this quick sympathy and comprehension although as an englishman geoffrey would have given no sanction to the sale and barter of his fellow-creatures these dark servants were to him no more than slaves so much carrying power and so much fighting power subject to his domination it pleased him to know their characters to be able to play upon their strength and weakness their ferocity and their greed just as surely as he manipulated the stops of the great organ at discombe these africans gave a name of their own choosing to almost everybody they christened the great sultan of the interior tippo tib because of a curious blinking of his eyes captain trivier obtained his nickname on account of his eyeglass another man was named after his spectacles the sultan of ujiji was called ru mariza it is ended because he had succeeded in reducing belligerent tribes to peaceful settlement for the englishman in particular africa could always find a nickname based on some insignificant detail of manner or appearance for englishmen in general she had found a nobler sounding name she called them sons of fire geoffrey with his tireless energy his rapid decision his angry impatience of delay seemed to his followers the very highest exemplar of the fiery race that can persevere and conquer difficulties which the native of the soil recoils from as insurmountable sons of fire were they not worthy of the name these white men when far out in midstream while the boatmen bent and cowered over their paddles these englishmen looked in the face of the lightning and sat calm and unmoved while day darkened to the pitchy blackness of a starless midnight and the thunder reverberated from hill to hill with roar upon roar and peal upon peal like the booming of heavy batteries and anon crashed and rattled with a sharper nearer sound blinding lightning torrential rain war of thunder and tempestuous waters were all as nothing to these sons of fire their spirits rose amidst hurricane or thunderstorm they were full of life and gaiety while the cockle-shell canoes were being tossed upon the short choppy sea 
like forest leaves upon a forest brook and when every sudden gust threatened destruction they laughed at peril and insisted upon having the canoes out when their native followers saw danger riding on the wind and death brooding over the waters they met the spirit of murder and were not afraid they lay down to sleep in the midst of an unknown wilderness with savage beasts lurking in the darkness that surrounded their tents they forded rivers that swarmed with crocodiles horrible stealthy creatures swimming deep down below the surface of the water the placid beautiful water with lotus flowers sleeping in the sunlight and scaly monsters waiting underneath in the shadow panther crocodile tempest fever or sunstroke poisoned arrows from murderous foes were only so many varieties in the story of adventure through every vicissitude the ready wit and calm courage of the englishman rose superior to accident discomfort or danger and to the native temper these wanderers from a far country an island which they had heard of as a speck in a narrow sea seemed men of iron with souls of fire Geoffrey would admit no malingering would accept no idle pretext for inaction or delay his little band picked out from the ruck of their porters were always on the move save in those rainy interludes which made movement impossible and even then Geoffrey fretted and fumed and was inclined to question the impracticability of a hunting expedition through those torrential rains did you ever hear of a fox hunter stopping at home because of a wet day he asked cecil patrington impatiently did you ever see such rain as this in a fox-hunting country retorted patrington pointing through an opening in the door of the hut to the sheet of falling water which blotted out all beyond and splashed with a thud into the pool that filled the enclosure the deep eaves kept the rain out of the huts but not without occasional accident spoilt provisions damp gunpowder it was a rude awakening from dreams of home to find one's bed afloat on a pond of rising waters Geoffrey had taken upon himself the task of providing meat for the party patrington's lazy happy-go-lucky temper readily ceding that post of distinction to the newcomer a man who had shot every species of beast that inhabits the great continent could easily surrender the privilege of finding meat dinners along the route so he only used his gun now and again when the humour prompted and for the most part smoked the pipe of peace and read dickens in the repose of a day's halt while Geoffrey roamed off with his winchester rifle and his little band of obsequious dark skins and now in this period of waiting there was the great inland sea to explore those romantic shores with their wealth of animal life those waters teeming with fish hemmed round and guarded by the majesty of mountains whose lofty peaks and hollows no foot of man had ever trodden there was plenty of scope for movement and adventure here so long as the rains held off and the three men made good use of their time and the canoes were rarely idle or the rowers allowed to shirk upon the favourite pretence of bad weather so long as there was something to be done Geoffrey and allen were happy but with every interval of repose there came the familiar heartache the longing for home faces the sense of disappointment and loss sometimes alone by the lake while the lamp was shining on the faces of his two friends yonder in the veranda where they sat playing chess alone in the awful stillness of that vast mountain gorge the waters rippling with placid movement only faintly flecked with whiteness here and there in the blue distance Geoffrey's longing for that vanished face grew to an almost unendurable agony he felt as if he could bear this anguish of severance no more he began to calculate the length of the homeward journey oh the weariness of it for him for whose impatience the fastest express train would be too slow he shrank appalled from the contemplation of the distance that he had put between himself 
and the woman he loved the intolerable distance thousands and thousands of miles and the difficulties and vicissitudes of the journey all the forces of tropical nature to contend with dependent upon savages subject to fevers that hinder and stop the eager feet and lay the weary body low a helpless log to waste days and nights in burning agony to awaken and find a caravan dwindled by desertion luggage plundered new impediments to progress why had he been so mad as to come here that was the question which he asked himself again and again in the stillness of night when the mountain peaks stood out in silvery whiteness and the mountain chasms were pits of blackest shadow why had he a free agent master of his life and its golden opportunities made himself a voluntary exile what demon of revolt and impatience drove me out into the wilderness when i ought to have followed her and refused to believe in her unkindness and insisted upon being heard and heard again and rejected again only to be accepted later did i not know in my heart of hearts that she loved me and now she will believe no more in my love the man who could leave her who could try to cure himself of his passion for her such a man is unworthy to be remembered someone else will appear upon the scene that unknown rival whom no man fears or foresees till the hour sounds and he is there some arrogant lover utterly unlike alan or me who will not adore her as we have adored who will approach her not as a slave but as a master who will win her in a month in a week with fierce swift wooing startle and scare her into loving him win her by a coup de main that is the sort of thing that will happen it is happening now perhaps while i am standing by these african waters sick with longing for her is it night and moonlight in england i wonder are she and her new lover walking in the old sleepy garden no it is winter there they are sitting at the piano perhaps in the lamplight her little hands moving about the keys he listening and pretending to admire knowing and caring no more about music than the coarsest of my bagazis oh it is maddening to think of how i am losing her and i came here to cure myself of loving her cure there is no cure for such a passion as mine it grows with absence it strengthens with time and now the mazika the dreaded rainy season began the rain sun burnt with a sickly oppressive heat and over all nature there crept the death-like silence that comes before a storm no longer was heard the wail of the fish-eagle calling his mate and the answering call from afar no diver flitted black long and lanky over the waters the big white and grey kingfisher had vanished from his perch upon the branches that overhang the lake even the rani in the sedges noisiest of birds for the most part were mute in anticipatory terror thick darkness brooded over the long line of hills on the further side of the lake and from ujiji nothing could be seen but a waste of livid waters touched here and there with patches of white then through that dreadful stillness rolled the long low muttering of the thunder and lightning flashes pale and sickly pierced the overhanging pall of night and day and then the tempest in all its majesty of terror the roar of winds and waters the artillery of heaven pealing crackling rattling booming from yonder fortress of unseen giants the citadel of untrodden hills and after the storm the rain the ceaseless hopeless melancholy rain a wall of water shutting out the world there was nothing for it but to sit in the rough shelter of the tembi and amuse oneself as best one might cleaning guns and fishing tackle mending nets playing cards or chess reading talking disputing execrating the enforced inaction the deadly monotony for jeffrey's restless spirit that rainy season was absolute torture 
and it needed all the forbearance and good-nature of his companions to bear with his irritability and fretful complaining against inexorable nature even patrington the best-tempered most easy-going of men was disgusted at jeffrey's feverish impatience i begin to admire the wisdom of a vulgar proverb two's company three's none he said to alan across the chessboard as they arranged their men sitting in the light of the wood-fire while jeffrey lay fast asleep in his hammock after the weariness of sleepless nights your friend is a very bad traveller a fine weather traveller a man who must have sport and variety and progress all along the route that kind of man isn't a pleasant companion in central africa if courage and activity are essential patience is no less needed your friend has plenty of pluck but there's too much quicksilver in his veins he exercises an extraordinary influence upon the men but he is just the kind of fellow to quarrel with them and get murdered by them if he were left too much to his own devices it would need very little for them to think that fiddle of his an evil spirit and smash it and him too on the whole carew i wish you and i were alone for with yonder gentleman pointing to the motionless figure under the striped rug i feel as if i had undertaken the care of a troublesome child and africa don't you know isn't the right place for spoilt rats jeffrey will be himself again when these beastly rains are over he's a splendid fellow and i know you like him like him of course i like him nobody could help liking him he has the knack of making himself liked loved almost but he is a crank for all that alan mark my words that young man is a crank alan's heart sank at this expression of opinion short sharp decisive he remembered what he had heard of jeffrey's birth from the lips of jeffrey's mother could one expect perfect soundness of brain perfect balance of mind and judgment in a man who had entered life in a world of dreams and hallucinations End of chapter 28